It's the wrap of our top business stories this evening here on Metro FM Talk. And uh, joining me to take a look at all of these big, big stories in the world of money, I'm joined by uh, Chief Investment Officer and founder at Makwe Fund Managers, and that's uh, Makwe Masilela. Makwe, who's that, bro? Hey, Tara, who's that, my outie? And hey, sweet, no small, man. What's AJ? What's AJ, Makwe? Hey, can't complain, you know, other than this depressing news that putting a pause on the vaccine, J&J. Hey, brah. What, what's gonna, what's that going to mean, Makwe, in the money markets? Talk to me. I mean, I, because a lot of, I guess, sentiment in the South African capital markets has a lot to do uh, with, uh, you know, the pace and the scale of the vaccination program and what people anticipate that to be. You know, we saw markets this morning or this afternoon being mixed because at the back of those news. But you know what was consoling? It was, it was only the U.S. saying that. And the U.S. was not like a war something per se. Remember already, they've got stock of the likes of their fighters and they, the current stock that they have. They think they'll continue to be able to vaccinate almost 3 million people a day. So, so far for them, it's not looking too bad. So with us, we hope that this is not the case because if really there is that uh, relationship and really is causing those clots, then that's the only vaccine that we have currently. That's the vaccine that we've used on our professionals or health professionals. So it might not be good news for us. And anyway, everyone has been optimistic about 2021 at mm. the back of the successful rollout when it comes to vaccinations. And I think maybe it's not something serious. It might be like, you know, and kind of an, call it an odd occurrence of stuff like that but if it gets to be proven then you are right you know we are in trouble we are back to square one mm, mm. and i guess talking about square one i mean if we were to shift from that and uh, something quite serious is uh, the looming wage negotiations at escom now uh, we spoke about this uh, Marco, on the show yesterday but uh, I, i'm quite interested i guess in the stakes involved here i mean we're talking about an entity that's straddled with debt that uh, is effectively, I guess, facing a, a major workforce uh, across the bargaining table at a time where it probably doesn't have, uh, I guess, much largesse to, to be giving around. Um, what do you make, I guess, of the bargaining positions uh, one, on the one hand of the unions and maybe, I guess, the bargaining position that the uh, Department of Public Enterprises might come into this one with? I think, brother, I think we, start, we need to start to be careful when we talk about ESCOM. Here we are now because we started talking about them. They started load sharing. It's true. So, you know what? I think maybe <laughs> so we, we mustn't talk about them. <laughs> yeah, maybe we have to stop talking about it. But, you know, truth be, be told, we know ESCOM is struggling. They don't have money. They've got debt. But now the question is, is it because of those workers who've been working so hard, even during lockdowns, making sure that their mm. lives are still on? I don't think it's all because of that. It's all because of the decisions, bad decisions that were made by management, and apparently they're continuing to make those kind of bad decisions. If that story we spoke about, about the security issues, stuff like that, is real, then it continues mm. to show you that... Uh, they continue not to make the right decisions. As we know, that claims already about racism, about the sidelining other suppliers, especially black suppliers. So it's got absolutely nothing to do with those hardworking, uh, what you call it, workers. But now the question is, as much as it's not their fault, where is ESCOM going to get the money? We've seen them that are trying to sell most of their non-core assets. Even today, they mm. managed to sell two of their buildings. But the guys don't have money as it is. But the beauty with them is that 
they continue to be able to tap into the capital market. So maybe probably they might not get whatever percentage that they've asked for as the union, but at least they should get something. Inflation is there. If the money doesn't increase inflation, then basically it means we are starting to earn less as what you used to end before. So they need to please give them something. Not a 15% probably or a 10% kind of a thing, you know. But yes, anything which is not double digit, truth be told, the guys, they deserve that increase. Mm, mm. There's been, I mean, definitely, I think many of them have been working over time as NINs, you know, we're trying to make sure that the plant continues to operate, you know, dealing with the transmission networks and all manner of other things. So, so certainly, I think there's a case to be made there. But Mark, I mean, this also comes at a time where there's a lot of uh, wrangling within uh, the leadership at ESCOM. I mean, we saw, uh, you know, Solichi Tangano uh, facing, you know, some of, uh, I think he faced a suspension there. Um, and now today, another executive coming out, um, you know, with the allegations of not following due process against the CEO again. Uh, there's dossiers that the unions, uh, we, we are told, have in their possession as well, talking about all manner of deals at ESCOM. It's not, it's not nice. And maybe I think the problem with not just ESCOM, but the issue back home here is the question of, you know, the... the, the the gap between the executive and normal workers when it comes to earnings, you know, because normal mm. workers will continue to complain that we are earning peanuts compared to you guys. And I think maybe if we can start to work around trying to close that particular gap, probably maybe it might help. And also more importantly, if we can start working to start improving workers in decision-making so that there's this whole transparency. We don't get to know issues when we start talking about salary increases. Let them be involved mm. in those kinds of institutions. And I think the bad thing that happens, usually when we talk about the shop steward, is not someone at the executive level who don't have food, who have access to that kind of information. It only comes in the form of report in the, because they're not part of those kinds of decisions. But yes, it's a very difficult one. If you have to ask me, can ESCOM afford an increase? Yes. Can ESCOM be able to get money somewhere? Yes. And ESCOM being ESCOM, they will play to the gallery that we don't have money. All of you people can see. All of you can see that we are busy trying to uh, reduce our debt and we don't mm. have access to get more. But hey, they can find money somewhere. And it's a question of being efficient. And the very same workers, as much as after you've got your increase, please continue to be productive. Because here also productivity is a big issue when it comes to South Africa. We pay you for eight hours, but you give us work for four hours or five hours. That cannot be accepted as well. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Let, let, let's stay, Makwe, in, in the electricity sector. Now, we do know that South Africa exports a lot of its uh, energy uh, to countries in the region, but uh, many uh, nations, and I think in particular here of Zambia and Zimbabwe, also quite reliant on hydroelectricity, and it seems now a major project that was about refurbishing and, I guess, extending the capacity of their hydro projects, uh, driven by General Electric and Power China, has been delayed not just for COVID-19, but because of all manner of other reasons as well. Yeah. The guys don't have money as yet. They are hoping to raise money. And it becomes mm. a problem for ESCOM, as you're saying, because as you know, they come here, people are trying to move off the grid, and ESCOM is busy building this power station, 
who are they going to be supplying electricity to, especially if the neighboring countries as well continue to be independent and they want to need that electricity from ESCOM. So meaning ESCOM won't have clients to be able to buy that excess electricity and then that tells you that they won't have the revenue to be able to pay that huge debt. So it should be a blessing in disguise to the likes of XCOM that this is delayed up until end of 2022. But at some point, it's going to get off the ground. At some point, pension fund might come into the fore and try to help out this whole issue. But taking four or five years from now, it's going to be a problem because XCOM will be sitting with this huge debt and then with this excess electricity and be left with consumers which are not reliable. Those who are reliable will be able to afford to pay the electricity. They'll probably be off the grid. But I think those governments, is the right thing to do, to go ahead and continue to build that project because that will help them to secure enough electricity. Bearing in mind yeah, that to continue yeah. to attract investors, you also have to give them certainty about electricity supply. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, it's quite interesting, Marco, I mean, these, these um, you know, collaborative projects, because when I think about hydro, I mean, the other project I'm thinking of is Grand Inga. Um, these take uh, many, many years to come online. Um, I mean, what's the expectation on this one? That one will definitely come online, I think. You know, Hydro, I think it involves too many countries, too many presidents. Which one? Inga? Yeah, Inga. I mean, we are involved in that as well. You had the other, I mean, it was going through how many countries? I think it was DRC, South Africa, Malawi, and which other country again? So you're talking three to four. So yeah, all of them, yeah. all of them, they've got their interests. And yes, we know that when it comes to just government being involved, it's a big problem. But this one, I mean, the guys have already appointed private companies to go mm. ahead with the project. It's COVID, and yes, COVID will be all of the way. Raising money, I don't think it will be a problem. If they use the balance sheet of General Electric, China can still give us cheap money. China can still uh, convince the BRICS Bank to give some of the money. I'm, I'm seeing this one happening, you know, as compared to the team in Gawa. Makwe, I mean, just, just on this project, um, you know, the, the implications of the drought. I mean, we know Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, um, Mozambique. Uh, large parts of uh, the food-producing regions of those countries have been hit by a multi-year drought. Uh, now, you can't have a hydro project if there's no water. But now, it affected there's an existing one which now is not worked. What is it called? Because it was affected by drought. But this one, as I understood it, and I hope I'm correct, you know, I think it's running on a river or on the water supply, which is so far much, much better compared you know, to just relying on the rain, just continue to feed you or to make sure that the hydro continues to work. As an example, maybe say if you have hydro, you use the likes of Victoria uh, Falls, you know. Drought or not drought, mm. you'll still be able, you know, to generate. It might be a question of maybe you're not generating to a full capacity, but there should be some sure, generation. Sure. I, the climate change, Mark, are you not sure even, you know, Musio Atunya as well would, would dry out. <laughs> it will continue to be at the mercy of that because in any other project, whether it's the hydro or any other thing, you've got factors which are out of your control, but there should be mm. some mitigating factors. Makwe, one story that would certainly make many South African meat producers very happy, in particular those in the pork sector. 
I guess, uh, yeah, uh, and even in the beef sector, I must add. It seems meat imports in China are hitting a monthly record on the back of domestic supply fears, especially pork. What's happening here? And I'm not sure if that also explains why. I mean, the data we just received from China, we saw their imports, you know, being up almost 30%, and market expected those imports to be up only 30%. Really? I promise you. And their exports were less than what you expected. And we've explained that the global economy is not growing. So I hope meat mm. part of it or pop, you know, as they say, is part of all that. And China, that clever, if they can all see that there'll be a shortage here, they've got the capacity, they've got the resources, the money, whatever you call it, to be able to stockpile as much as they want. Mm. We've seen them doing that even with minerals, you know, that they can stockpile the likes of iron ore so that they can continue to supply their steel industries. But I think, as you are saying, that should be good news for farmers, especially those in that particular sector. But we all know that it's not going to last forever. It's just this thing, they have like a short sure. stint. It can be a two, three months kind of a thing. What I'm saying, you cannot, as in a farmer, start to make any investment at the back of that because this is not going to be there forever. But yeah, mm. so now I think they might as well make good money as long as it lasts. You know, I find this uh, sector very interesting. I had a very interesting chat um, about two weeks ago with uh, somebody who works in an abattoir. Uh, okay. And one of the things he was saying, yeah, yeah, one of the things he was saying was there's a part of a cow on the inside that they have to meticulously pack, put into these, uh, you know, very wide, um, you know, uh, these, uh, I guess, uh, crates. And it gets shipped through, um, you know, I think Mucha out in the Eastern Cape. Okay. And this thing apparently is flying off the shelves in China. Now, I still don't know what you call that particular component, but in Kosa, I found that very interesting, Mark, where, uh, how much of the South African meat industry actually, uh, you know, exports through to China. You know, some of the meats that we might see, I suppose, the offal or whatever, are seemingly very, very big spinners in that part of the world. It's very interesting because with us, we, when we grow up, we know that when it comes to a cow, nothing gets to be uh, thrown away, you know. Yes, yes, from yeah. Ubulok, Ubakona. So it's very interesting that everything that comes out of that animal gets to be used in one way or the other. And yes, as you are saying, that is a very niche market. And people like uh, what you call it, the Chinese, definitely they know that if it's a cow maybe coming from this part of the world, as long as it passes mm. all the regulation, doesn't have whatever diseases, they're happy to continue to buy that. And it also brings another conversation that, you know, people just usually will look at the obvious things when it comes into doing business. I mean, this is like what you call a speciality kind of a thing, you know. It's a very, very niche market. Whoever's involved in that, mm. they should be making good money out of that. And as long as we capture the whole value chain, and as you explain it, probably the abattoir guys are capturing the whole value chain because they just do everything that they need to do, cut it and just export it as that. Yeah, yeah, and they, even the cold part of the of that chain, of course, you know, the storage and, you know, making sure it gets to the ports. I mean, these guys have closed in on that market. But a very fascinating one to think about, uh, uh, Mark, where certainly in many of the meat-producing parts of this country. Last one I want us to talk about. Facebook, and many of us would remember, of course, you know, um, uh, Facebook was on our case about WhatsApp. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, reviewing their data policy and everybody was going to go to Signal and as we Pelelepi 
But it seems they're facing uh, a probe in Germany in a bid to halt the mass collection of data. What's happening here? Yeah, I want to know my Germans. Facebook, they should get their act together now when it comes to the Germans, you know. And the guys have understood they have just opened the case that, listen, this cannot be happening. This whole issue of just sharing data the way you want it, then sell it to the advertisers. We're not just going to allow that to happen without having all these things regulated. And it brings a very important conversation that we just undermine how important the data is. We just undermine how much money can we make out of data, even the government itself, which happens to have so much data, that they can easily commercialize it and make good money out of that. Hence, private companies like your Facebook, you know, through their WhatsApp, they've seen that kind of market. But as long as they continue to collect that kind of data, then they just sell it. But the question is, I don't think it's fair for people to sell your data, especially if they're not giving you anything for free, because you are not getting mm. those things just for free. I mean, I'm using my data to be able to use WhatsApp or Facebook, whatever it is. So it's not like in the tab that we gave you this for free, then you are allowed to use your data the way we want. Unless if people mm. keep concerned that, listen, we are free to share my data the way you want to share. And I think other countries, as we've seen the UK as well, they were all up in arms as well with that issue. And we hope other uh, global economies will join on that. We're not saying Facebook must not continue to be creative. We're not saying they must die. But hey, let them do things in a very legal way because it's not fair to just use my mm. data. I may not know when I continue to get all this, uh, whatever, and all this cost because you sold my data. And it's all true, Makwe, because, you know, if you think about any other economic activity, um, there's an implied or explicit expectation at times that if you are getting something as a raw material somewhere, there's some level of, you know, either taxation or some form of localization of the benefit from that. Sure. With many of these guys, you know, we don't know how much they monetize that data, uh, the value of that and by extension, how much they owe our own authorities and how much, I guess, they would also owe some of the platform's users. Um, so, so I guess th this bid in Germany and, and elsewhere uh, might maybe drive us in that uh, direction. And I think we know, in a way, you know, how much money they're making. Just look how big it is, that company. I mean, it's one mm. of the top big companies in the world, you know. I mean, you are like so you are, you are Facebook. That tells you how much revenue the guys are generating. But as you are saying, they are generating revenue in such a way that that could have been information that they collected by Colombia in South Africa, and that generating revenue out of that. And mm -hmm. South African government doesn't even benefit from that, as you said, in the form of tax revenue, because uh, Facebook has to be taxed in the U.S., not in, in South Africa. But it's very critical to say that, hey, how much have I contributed to your revenue as a country? What am I getting for that? Yeah. I, this one, Marco, is going to take uh, a while to uh, wrap our heads around because these companies, you know, have become even bigger than some nations now. Um, so, yeah, you're not okay, dealing yeah. with some Mickey Mouse operation, you know? Yeah, right. I think this is one of those cases that you will see us seeing Zuckerman wearing a suit again, you know, facing Congress people going to court, you know, putting away his hoodie because he really has to put in a serious fight on this one. Mm. And stay in Cape Town. Uh, do you think he would run rings around our our parliamentarians here? <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. Just like no comment. No Thank comment. you, Marque. Uh, shout me out. <laughs>
Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers.